Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you came to church this morning, what were you looking forward to? Perhaps it's your first time here, you were looking forward to seeing what goes on in that white building on a Sunday morning. Perhaps for others of you, you were thinking, I'm really looking forward to having an hour without the kids when it'd be nice and quiet. Perhaps for others of you, you were thinking, I'm looking forward to the Sunday lunch that comes after the Sunday service. Get through the service, we get the lunch. Perhaps for others of you, it was thinking, it'll be really good to catch up with some of our friends. Perhaps for others, it was thinking, it'll be really nice um, to spend time worshipping God, to be singing some great songs. Perhaps for others of you, you're thinking, it'll be really nice to hear a great sermon. And then you saw I was preaching. You thought, never mind. But I'm guessing there's probably not many of us came with the aim of being an encouragement to others. But as we look at this passage here, what we're going to see is encouraging one another is a really important part of our life together as a church family. So let's turn uh, to look at the passage. We're jumping in here really into the middle of Hebrews. Um, and basically the writer spent the first 10 and a bit chapters setting out these great truths about who Jesus is, what he's done. And he's now transitioning from laying out these truths, saying, okay, well, so what? What does this mean for our lives? And I don't know if you noticed as, as Nate read it, there's a couple of repeated phrases that came through. We had, since we have, since we have, let us, let us, let us, let us. You see, because what we have in Jesus is going to shape how we live. So we don't just start the reading at verse 24 and say, let's think how we can encourage one another. Because ironically, that it would be a shorter sermon for you, but it wouldn't be a massively encouraging one. Because it would be me sitting here, or standing here, saying, be encouraging to one another, and hitting you with that. But when we start at verse 19, we see why. We see what we have in Jesus. And that is what is going, if you like, to be the springboard for the actions that come out of it. So let's start first with what do we have? So since we have access and an advocate. We have access to God and we've got an advocate before God. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Now, in the first century, this would be quite a big deal. Because, you see, in their mindset, in the Old Testament, the most holy place was in the center of the temple. That was where God's presence dwelt. And it was surrounded by this massive curtain. And you couldn't go in. The only person who could go in was the high priest. And only then he could go in once a year. And even then he had to take with him the blood of animals to offer as a sacrifice 
for his sins and for the sins of the people. And yet here's the writer saying, you can have access. And that raises the question, well, how? How can sinners like me and you have access to a holy God? And not just access, we can do so in confidence. Is it, has kind of God gone soft? He was kind of all a bit uptight in the Old Testament and he's now nice and chilled, anyone can come in. No, what does he say? We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Our access to God is at the cost of Jesus' life. As we saw in our first reading from Mark 15, when Jesus died on that cross, what happened? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom so that we could enter in. As Jesus' body was broken for us by taking our sin upon himself, he opened the way that we could have access to God. So isn't that good? We've got this access to God. We also have an advocate before God. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, after Jesus died, what happened? Well, he rose again from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven, where he's now seated at the Father's right hand. He's interceding for us there. He's praying for us to God the Father there. That's where he is now. We have an advocate before the Father and a promise of being with him. So in Jesus, we have access to God and we've got an advocate before God. And do you know so well, these are present realities based on a past completed work. Do you notice that? What does he say? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, present, by a new and living way, opened for us, past. Isn't that wonderful? Access to God and an advocate before God, not based on what we've done, not based on what we are like, but on the finished work of Jesus. So then the writer says, now that we have these things, now that we have these truths, now that we have this finished work in Jesus, how should that impact the way we live? He draws out three things. Um, we're going to focus mainly on the third one as we think about how to encourage one another. Uh, but we'll briefly look at the first two, in part because they're quite encouraging. So first, uh, let us draw near to God. Verse 22, since we have these things, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Basically what he's saying is, we have this amazing access to God through Jesus. Make use of it. Now, as some of you know, Dan Barlow, um, who's hiding at the back today, um, is a member of Marlebone Cricket Club uh, down at Lord's. Um, last summer, he very kindly uh, took me along uh, to a match there. So I was able to get access to the members' enclosure, which is this really kind of posh bit with some of the best seats um, in the house in it. And the reason I could get in there was because of Dan, 
because Dan was a member. Now, it would be madness, wouldn't it, if I had been given this ticket by Dan that gave me access to the members' enclosure, and I thought, actually, I'm going to stand out here and watch it by the burger van, <laughs> kind of through the gaps, I can just about see it, but I'm going to stay out here. It would be madness. And likewise, that, this is the point here. Because of Jesus, we can draw near to God. We can have an intimate relationship with him. The curtain is open. So walk in. Draw near to your heavenly father. But how? How do we, how do we draw near? What does that look like? Well, get to know God. Delight in his word, the Bible. Listen to him speak to you through the pages of the Bible. And speak to him. Pray to him. The passage says, with a sincere heart. Be fully engaged. Have an undivided, focused heart on him. Not sort of wishing you were somewhere else. But rather fill your mind with God. Enjoy spending time with him. But don't take that access for granted. You can enter freely, but that access was brought at great cost. So what is it that stops us drawing near? I think so often it's our sin, isn't it? We kind of have in our minds, we think, I can't face God today because of what I've done. I can't draw near to him. But what does the passage say? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. These, things, these are not conditions that we need to somehow achieve. These are conditions that we already have in Jesus. You see, our access is 100% based on what Jesus has done. It's not on what we've done or what we will do. If we go back to Lord's, if my access to the members' enclosure depended on Dan giving me the ticket, and then he said, right, when you rock up there, give the ticket to the man, the man will take you down to some cricket nets, and they're going to bowl a couple of balls at you, and as long as you manage to swap them away okay, they'll let you in. Now, I can't play cricket. I would not be able to approach that man with any sort of confidence if that depended on me hitting some cricket balls. And likewise, if my access to God was 99% Jesus, 1% me, I could not have full assurance. I could not enter with confidence. But the wonderful truth is, Jesus has done it all. And I think in our heads, we, often, we, we kind of know this. We kind of think, okay, yes, it is all about Jesus. But so often we act in a way that that doesn't quite fit with that. We're always trying to think, well, can I just contribute a little bit here or a little bit there? And that just leads to us being discouraged. Because if we look inward, we're right. We're not good enough. I can't approach God but be encouraged. 
Look upward. Look upward to the object of your faith, to Jesus, to the one who died for you, the one through whom you can draw near to God, the one who is sitting at the Father's right hand. So with confidence, draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Secondly, let us hold fast. Life is hard, isn't it? I think each of us, in different ways, have been through hard times, dark times, times of suffering, times of heartbreak. And in those times, what do we hope for? We hope it will go away. We hope that tomorrow will be better. But we've also lived long enough to know that's not always the case. And being a Christian doesn't change that. The Christian life can be hard. It involves sacrifice. There's no immunity from suffering. Indeed, it can often lead to ridicule, to opposition, to strained relationships with family and friends who don't share your faith. And the question is, it can be tempting under all that to think, what's the point? To give up. And it's to people who are feeling that way that the writer says in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What is this hope? It's the hope in Jesus and what he has done and what he will do. The hope that those who are trusting in him will be saved and will enjoy all eternity with him in his Father's presence. Earlier in Hebrews, the writer has the same thing in mind. In, verse, in chapter 6, he says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. That's the hope that we have. It's a sure and certain hope. It's not one that may or may not happen, but a certain hope. But then, how can we hold on? How can we hold on to this hope? Not in our own strength, but in his. Because did you notice how the verse ended? For he who promised is faithful. In the storms of life, what matters is not how tightly we try and hold on, but rather how strong that anchor is. Hold on to Jesus. So when life is hard, the, the writer's not saying here is, let's pretend these difficulties aren't there. Let's pretend they don't hurt. But rather, remember God is faithful. Take your circumstances and your heart to God. Hold on to that anchor. Hold on to Jesus. He can say, I know how it feels. Because he has been through all of that. So place your hope in him and him alone. Hold fast.
But thirdly, we turn to think through how we can spur one another on. So how, in light of what we have in Jesus, how can we be encouraging and spurring one another on in the Christian life? So look with me at verses 24 and 25. They say, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So in light of what we have in Jesus, how are we to encourage one another? To go with the three lettuces, I've got four Bs. First up, we've got be considered. Now, I don't know what you're like at buying presents for people. I think there's broadly two kind of camps of present buying. There's kind of the first one that I normally fall into, which is grab the first thing that you see that looks half decent and is vaguely all right. Um, there's the second camp, who are the people who are really, really, really thoughtful present givers. They invest a lot of time and effort thinking, what is going to be the ideal present for this person? And it's that second camp here that's in focus, that the writer's got in mind. Because he's saying, really think about it. He's saying, let us consider how we may. He's saying, we're to consider one another, to look at one another, to think about one another, to focus on one another, to study one another, to recognize we're all different. We're all going to respond to things in different ways. So if we're going to encourage one another, first of all, get to know one another. Small groups are a great way of doing that. So it's a smaller group within the church. Getting to know people. And then as we do that, putting that thought and effort in thinking, how can I encourage and spur this person on? So first of all, be considered. Secondly, let's be purposeful. So what's the goal of our encouragement? What does it say? And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Focus on helping each other become loving people. Focus on helping each other to do good deeds. Be encouraging one another with the gospel. Now, after the service, you could come, you could spur me on, say, come on, do you think you could increase the number of sessions you do at the gym this week? It's currently zero, so everywhere is up. (laughs) But that's not what's in mind here, is it? It's rather encourage one another with the gospel. Encouraging me to keep loving that friend who's hurt me. Encouraging me to spend time with the colleague who's going through a difficult time. Let's be purposeful in our encouragement for one another. And we don't do this because we've got it sorted. It's not a case of, I'm loving, I do good deeds, and I'm here to tell you how to do it as well. No, we're all broken. We're all sinful people. But God's given us each other, and we're called to humbly and lovingly encourage one another.
So be considered, be purposeful. Thirdly, be irritating. You weren't expecting that one, were you? But what does the passage say? It says, let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I don't know if we've got any horse experts in the room who can probably correct me on this. But as far as I'm aware, a spur is basically, it's like a small spike or a little wheel that's on the back of a horse rider's heel, which they use for basically urging the horse forward. And that's what's in the image here. I'm sure the horse isn't massively keen always on getting this little prod. But that's not the point. We're here to spur one another on, to stir one another up, if you like, to provoke one another. Basically, we're here to positively irritate one another. Because the thing is, loving people and doing good deeds, it's hard work. That's why we need the encouragement. And sometimes we're going to find that encouragement irritating because we'd rather prefer the quiet life. Oswald Chambers put it like this. He says, It is a most disturbing thing to be hit squarely in the stomach by someone being used of God to stir us up. The real danger in spiritual laziness is that we don't want to be stirred up. So we need to be prepared Prepare to stir one another up. Not to shy away from it because it's easier to talk about the weather. But we, so let's stir one another up. Let's irritate one another. But do so out of love. Do so in a way that's encouraging. In a way that's full of grace and not guilt. But be positively irritating. Uh, fourth and finally of the ones. Um, be present and be encouraging. Verse 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. His point here is, if you're not with them, it's going to be quite hard to encourage them. So there were some of the initial readers of this letter they'd been tempted to give up meeting together. Now, we see a few uh, verses further down in um, chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, that they were facing persecution. They were facing opposition for their faith. There was a real risk in meeting together. And yet he says, don't give up meeting together. The benefit is worth the risk. And I guess for us the question is, do we prioritise meeting together? How important is coming to church to you? Does your calendar fit around church? Or does church fit around your calendar? One minister put it like this, to be necessarily absent is one thing. To be needlessly absent is to deprive yourself of the opportunity of both being helped and helping others. And when we do meet together, what's our focus? Is it what I can get out of it? Or is it to encourage one another? Because he says in verse 50, 25, it's not a case of 
let's not give up meeting together, but rather meet together. No, it's more than that. It's not just be a warm body in a pew, but rather come, let us encourage one another. So be present, be encouraging as we meet together. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or what your current circumstances are. Each of us can be a great encouragement to one another. We're all sinners saved by grace. All of us have access to the Father purely on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. None of of us have it sorted. Tom and Andy, the trustees, your small group leaders, they all need your encouragement. And you might be going through one of life's storms. Just actually getting to church might be a struggle. You think, well, I can't go because I can't encourage anyone. You can still encourage. Actually, for me, one of the great encouragements over the past few years has been a small group on a Wednesday night when people who've been going through really, really tough times have come along. Now, they might have been able to do little more than come and sit there. But actually, that was an enormous encouragement to us because by being there, they were saying how much they loved the other people in the group. By their example, they were saying, you can persevere through this. So in whatever situation we're in, whoever we are, we can encourage one another. We can encourage in all sorts of ways as well. Whether it's from sharing a Bible verse that you've read in your quiet time, you think that is going to be really helpful for that person. To just being an encouraging example in the way that you depend on God in all circumstances. And from this passage, we can see we can encourage one another to draw near to God. Encourage one another to hold fast to that hope that we have. And let's also be praying specifically for one another. And when we do that, let's be praying that they would increase in love and good deeds. Let's be praying too how we can encourage one another, how we can spur one another on in these things. So wouldn't it be wonderful if each week each of us was to encourage one other Christian? Just think what the impact that that would have. That each time we come together, either on a Sunday or midweek, whether at church or whether we're meeting up elsewhere, if we were thinking, how can I be an encouragement to this person? in small ways, in big ways, in little ways, in different ways. But just think of the way that we can all encourage one another on in our Christian journey. And what's the motivation? Well, look at how he ends. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? It's the day when Jesus returns. The day when our earthly journey will reach its end. The day when we will see our Lord and Saviour. When that sure and certain hope becomes a present reality. God's plan for us is not that we travel from here to there alone. 
but rather that we travel together as a church family on that journey. As a group of believers, none of us perfect, all of us different, but all saved by faith in Jesus Christ and all trusting in him. Won't it be wonderful on that day to look up and to see Jesus, the one who died for us, the one through whom we have access to the Father. And won't it be wonderful on that day to look around and see each other there as well, to see the ones that we've had the privilege of sharing the journey with, to look at those that you've encouraged along the way, praising their Lord and Saviour face to face, to be able to look back at the journey to that point, to look back to see God's faithfulness to you, to see how he kept you through the storms of life, and also to be able to look back and to see how God used your church family to encourage you along that way. That's the glorious future we have. In light of what we have in Jesus, let's encourage one another. Let's pray. As the old hymn says, when this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when we stand with Christ on high, looking over life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died for us, that you raised him from the dead that he's now seated at your right hand in glory. We thank you that one day we will be with him. We thank you that we can draw near to you through Jesus. Father, forgive us when we're distant. Forgive us when we take your gift for granted. But Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, that you will keep us till the end through the storms of life. And Father, we thank you for giving us one another. We thank you that you do not call us to journey alone. Lord, help us to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to love and good deeds day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>